surely is a blessing that we could ask God this morning that Jesus would be our pilot. And you know, it'd be an important matter that, and let's say all important matter that while we're on this earth, that God in heaven would grant grace for every one of our hearts, whether we be little girls or teenagers or older ones, that we could be granted that grace, that we could be in that ship. That ship that Jesus pilots all the way to heaven. The Bible tells us that there's a way that seems right unto a man and the end of is the way of death. Just like Bill said there, we don't want to be on that last day where Jesus would have to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. But you know, if, if we're in the ship that God draws us onto, into that ship that would bring us to heaven on that day, it's not going to be told us that I don't know you because Jesus knows everyone that's there. Jesus knows those hearts that are not running ahead of him, but the ones that he's directing and that he's piloting. And I thought it'd be good that we'd ask the Father in heaven that grant grace, dear Father, that you would allow us to believe in our heart and know that when we gather like this and when we walk as God's children, that this journey is not a fairy tale. This journey is not something that we look at just lightly. See, many times we kind of just get accustomed to this life and we start to get at ease, like the Old Testament says, at ease in Zion. And we start to take church and we start to take spiritual matters just for granted and and then because of that we start to get tired and and our heart starts to murmur and, and we don't believe that this journey is really true. And we'd want to ask the Father in heaven that grant grace, O oh Father. Show me the seriousness that we are on a one-time journey. The Bible tells us that our life is as a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. It's so true and it seems like when you're young and you're full of health and you look at 20 and 30 and 40 years ahead, you it looks like an eternity. But you know what, when you look back on that time, it's just a little time and then it's gone. And that's the reason we want to ask God that, Oh, Father, it's in your hand. I can't preserve, I can't create anything in my heart, but, dear Father, grant me grace that your hand would be there in my heart creating and searching it and know that, like David said in another place, that search me, O oh God, and know my heart and, and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and show me thy way everlasting. Show me, dear Father, that this journey is serious. You know, there's a place here in God's Word that I'm going to read just a short portion here in the book of James, in the first chapter. And starting with the 13th verse, and I'll go to the 18th verse. First chapter of James, the 13th verse. 
Let no man say when he is tempted he is, that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. For every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creature. Amen. You know, when we read in God's word and we find, when we talk about our own heart journeying and becoming careless sometimes, when we read in God's word, we find that nothing is new under the sun. When we read in the epistles and in the gospels and we look how the disciples journeyed and, and how they journeyed there in the book of Romans and different, chap- different books in the Bible, God's children always needed to be brought back and reminded where they're at. It's kind of amazing in, when you read in the book of Romans that the children of Israel were, or the children I mean in Rome, they were journeying. And before their eyes, God in heaven granted grace that there was an awakening to the knowledge of their sin. And in that awakening to the knowledge of their sin, there was a, God created a, de- a desire and a need that their sins would be covered. And you know what? God granted them grace that they were able to rejoice in their heart that their sins and iniquities were covered in the blood of Christ Jesus. They were able to rejoice that they were justified by Christ Jesus through, by grace and through grace. And in that journey and during that time when they were journeying there was Hearts that begin to look at that and they said, you know, when grace covers sin, and because it does, that maybe the bigger sinner we are, then God will give us more grace. And you know what? That's even true. But here's where they erred, is that they thought that if they would start doing more sin. They thought in their mind and they concluded that if they do more sin, then more grace will be given to them. And where the devil played a trick on them is that he started to tell them that that way and didn't allow them to remember that God covers the heart when it is penitent. God doesn't take his grace and, his, and the blood of Christ and go on to the heart that doesn't have any need. They forgot that God created the need. So then they started to say, well, maybe we'll sin so that grace will abound. And Paul told them, how can you sin that? When you are dead to sin, how could you live in it, into sin anymore? And he told them that God forbid that you would go and live in sin so that grace would abound. I wonder 
if we live in that day today. You know, many times down there in the south and different places, people are asking the question today, what is sin? And it almost seems like if people would dare and be bold enough to say, well, how much sin could we live in and still get away with it? But they don't quite dare ask it so literal, but they'll ask, but the question many times is that, well, maybe it's a sin for you and not for me. So, you know, when we consider the matter of sin, maybe we should ask the Father in heaven that he would allow us to take a journey. Back where the enemy of the soul began in the Garden of Eden when he went and told Adam and Eve. And he started to talk to Eve there because God had said that you can not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That the day you eat thereof thou shalt surely die. The enemy of the soul came to Eve and started to talk to her and he asked her a question that has God said. And you know what? That has God said has been his biggest trick throughout time. Because like Rosania says that when he asked Eve that has thou said, he said all he wanted to do was start to have conversation and Eve answered. And you know when we read in God's word we find that through that one man's disobedience, then eternal death came on every one of us. Oh, we could say in our heart that, well, sin don't really matter. Well, it mattered so much then that in a disobedience of one, every single one of us are born and we have original sin. Every person that's born on this earth has original sin. Through disobedience of one, eternal death came upon every one of us. So, appears in God's word that sin is a very serious matter. But you know, when we read in God's word and we find that mankind was created and they were journeying on this earth, then there came a time that the children of God begin to wander and their eyes begin to look at the daughters of this land and the men that were look like giants of this land. The children of Israel, or the children of God, begin to journey then and marry and begin to intermingle. And there were other things that they did, and God in his heart, he went there and he said that my spirit will not strive with man forever because they are only flesh. And he told Moses to tell the people that I'm going to destroy this earth. He told Noah to, to cry to the people that I'm going to destroy this earth. And Noah began to cry for 120 years. And you know what happened in that day is that in the ears of the people that Noah cried out to, there was another little voice that kept on crying out that has God said. And when that voice cried out that has God said, you know what they did? They looked and they mocked him. And they laughed at him. They were helping him build the ark. They were there putting it together with him. And Noah will cry out repentance to them and tell them that God is going to destroy this earth because of sin. And you know what? They all made fun and they laughed. Because you know why? That little voice has thou said. And we could go on many places in God's word. Could you imagine 
that in Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent angels there to talk to them because Sodom and Gomorrah had gone off into the sins of homosexuality. And God sent angels there to, to have Lot and his wife and their children to come out. And we see in God's word that it must be that that little voice cried out again that has God said. We see there was only three that was able to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. What has the devil done in our day? Is he playing the same trick to your heart and mine that he would come to us and say that has God said? I just wonder what happened during the time of James when, when the voice was crying out there that whosoever is a hearer of the word of God and not a doer is likened unto a man that beholds his face, it says here, in a glass and when he leaves he forgets what manner of man he was. Do you suppose that the enemy of the soul went there and said that, has God said that you have to hear God's word and then there's fruit that follows God's word? Could you imagine the enemy of the soul has come and he has just said, all you have to do is hear and believe and then leave it there. And God's word tells us hearing and not doing is likened unto somebody that looks and they look in the mirror, and when they leave, they forget that they're even a person. They gave that natural illustration. But when God grants grace that you look into the mirror of his word, and there you see that there has been a sinner, and there you see that God has granted grace of forgiveness, and there you see that God has looked and seen one that was hopelessly lost, that couldn't help himself, polluted in his own blood, and God said unto you, Live. And there the heart begins to rejoice that they could be a child of God. And in all the hearing, then leave and just go back and do whatever they've done in unbelief and do the sins of this world. Or the sins of self-righteousness where man begins to base on something. Forget that you are a child of God and that there's no fruit that follows. You know what God's word tells us this way today, that let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. When you are tempted into sin, I don't know whatever happened here in that time of James that did the people begin to say and blame God when they were tempted into sin or what happened. But I know he says here and he exhorts the children of God that let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. But it says here that God indeed cannot and will not, it says here, God does not tempt and cannot be tempted of evil, neither tempteth he any man. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And you know, when we're tempted, we are tempted in this, as far as sin is concerned, and when we hear in God's word that sin is a serious matter, and we ask the Father in heaven to reveal to us and show us that sin is a serious matter. See what the devil has done today is he said God has not said sin is serious. So it really doesn't matter how you journey or how you walk as long as you believe. That's what the enemy of the soul's sermon is in our day. It really doesn't matter. I would want to encourage the parents today that when the enemy of the soul begins to 
work in the hearts of your children. Don't begin to compromise with the enemy and say, well, it's 2004, it really don't matter today. Things are changed. What's the difference? Sometime different ones, different children will, my own children, they'll tell me, yep, but dad, this is 2004. But you know what? We heard here that it doesn't matter. As far as the years or the time, there is no variableness or shadow of turning with God. But you know what? When our children are being tempted, love them that much and don't begin to compromise with sin. We live in a day when sin is just compromised with. It doesn't really matter. That's the age today. You know why? Because the enemy of the soul has come and said, that has God said. But you know, when God's word tells us today that let, let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God, that, but man is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. You know, when, when David went out on a balcony and he began to behold what was there, he didn't go out there with that intention. But David went out there and the enemy of the soul was waiting out there on the balcony and he went into his heart and he created a lust. And if he had called Nathan and told him about what was happening and been concerned about, about the sin that was about to come upon him, then he could have spared himself from a lot of grief and sin and anguish and lament all days of his life. Today we heard where God granted him grace to rejoice for a moment, but he, re but he lamented all his life. But when he was out there, God didn't tempt him. But the same one and the same tempter that tempted Adam and Eve and the same tempter that tempts you and I as we journey. It's the same one. He'll come along. And like God's word says that when God doesn't tempt anyone but man is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. David went back as a king and he called, rather than calling Nathan, he called his servant. And he told him because he had the authority to do it, to send Bathsheba. And you know what happened? And according to God's word, that lust had conceived and brought forth sin. And God's word tells us that when sin is finished, it brings forth death. And that's the process that the devil has always used. He comes along and he tempts. But here's one thing that God's children need to remember and know. As we journey along, because here's another trick that the devil will come. He'll come there and tell you when you are tempted and when you are struggling and there is a warfare and there is those things that the devil will come there and make it so beautiful to your eyes. That's not a strange matter to God's children. Peter said that, Dearly beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. The enemy of the soul will come there when our hearts are tempted with sin and he'll tell you, there you are, you're living in it. And he'll, and he'll come and bring our heart to distress and he begin to tell you that look how bad you are, that God could never love you. And that's the enemy's trick. But I want to encourage our hearts today. When we are tempted, it doesn't mean that we are living in sin. 
In the Old Testament times, you know what it talks about? It talks about different types of sin. It talks about the original sin, like we said, that came on us with Adam and Eve. But you know what? There's another type of sin that'll come. And that is the sin that is sinned by ignorance, and there is sin that is sinned presumptuously, God's Word tells us. And in the Old Testament times, there was a sacrifice for sins that were done ignorantly. And then there was no sacrifice, but rather you were cut off from the children of God when you sinned presumptuously. And you know what the difference was? Is that if you sin ignorantly meant that the corruption of sin that bothers and tempts us and tries to drag us, and the warfare continues and the battle is on, because God grants us grace that there's a battle and a war against sin. That's the sin that is done unaware. That is not the sin that is done intentionally, but it's the sin that is there because of corruption and there's a warfare and there's a battle like every single one of us have as God's children. But in that, there is in the, it is in a temptation place where the devil is trying to draw us. But you know what? God's Word tells us there's a sacrifice for that sin. In the Old Testament, we see that God's children, they were journeying one time. And when, there was, when the sin was done, unaware, it says, that there was a city of refuge set up for that person. Could you imagine how nice for a heart to know that there is a city of refuge for the heart that sins, unaware? In other words, that at that temptation place, and there's a warfare and a battle, you know how it is that you feel in your heart that you're just serving the devil because your heart and your thinking and your feelings are so wicked. I just want to encourage and let you know in your own heart to remember that that is not the serving of sin. And that's not when you're living in it. But that's the sin of ignorance and the sin of unaware. Flee to the city of refuge, dear heart, when, you are, when the warfare is on. But you know what God's Word tells us today? That let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God. But man, when he sins, he is drawn away by his own lust and entice. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. And you know what? The sin, uh, that presumptuous sin, and sinning presumptuously was this type of sin. That man thought, in his own heart, that if he goes and lives in sin, he can cover himself with grace because Jesus loved him. That if he goes intentionally living in sin, that he could take God's grace and cover himself. It was a sin that when you look at it, it talks about it, that the living in a presumptuous sin was that kind of a sin that you had undue liberty that you drew upon yourself. And that's why God's Word tells us that woe unto you rebellious children. It talks about the heart that is impenitent and the heart that thinks that it could go and make and bring the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who has suffered and died for sin and who has taken your sin and mine that was causing eternal death. That we could go and look so lightly on it that we could take liberty and cover our sin. That's the presumptuous sin that in the Old Testament times there was no sacrifice for it. And there is no sacrifice either today that we could begin to take and go off and intentionally sin. See, that's the part that we need to remember. 
so that we don't faint on the journey. We need to remember that. We are sinners. We feel sin. And the devil tempts us with sin. But we need to remember that, Oh, Father, grant me grace that I would know the difference. That I would live in sin and have fun and just go off and intentionally live in it and then cover myself with the blood of Jesus. But that I would know the difference that there's a sin of ignorance. There's a sin by temptation. There's a sin of corruption. There's a sin that God in heaven looks and says, I don't impute it unto you anymore. Because you're covered and your sins and iniquities and your transgressions are forgiven you. I don't impute your sin unto you anymore. Do you understand, dear listener, what it means to be a sinner and a struggling and a warring child of God? And then, other words, in the other hand, where the enemy has taken and brought us to falsehood and brought us unto that presumptuous and taking undue liberty and saying that we are at liberty now, it doesn't matter. See, you know what James said? That that's the type of heart that is a hearer of the word and not a doer because when he leaves after he has looked and he has looked at himself, he leaves and forgets that he's a child of God. Children of God in the God's word do not intentionally and purposely go off and live in sin. Do we fall into sin? Do we have sins that tempt us? Do we have a battle and a war with our self and our corruption? It's there and it'll be there till the day we die. See, David went off and lived in actual sin. We read in God's Word that when the children of Israel were coming onto Jer- when they came to Jericho, they were told that when Jericho is destroyed, don't take anything that is there. And the devil went with his common trick like we were talking and said, Thou shalt, has God said. And he went to Achan's heart and told him, Has God said? Achan and his wife. They went there and after the walls went down, they took a Babylonian garment and they took some shekels of gold and silver and they ran and hid it in their tent. They dug a little place in the ground and hid it in their tent like nobody would know. And that was intentional. That was not accidental or unaware or a sin that was committed ignorantly, but it was knowingly and purposely they went in it. And maybe we could say it was the presumptuous one that they thought, oh, we're at liberty, it doesn't matter. God don't really care, has God said. And you know what happened? The children of Israel went out to fight the battle against Ai. And when they went up to the city of Ai, which was very few in number, there wasn't many people there, they lost the battle. When they came back, Joshua said, there's sin in the camp. Could you imagine? Lot. Being lost as far as the ways of this world, the ways of self-righteousness where the devil would want to draw us, the ways of the Christianity that God's Word tells us that we would live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. They went around and they found these in Achan's camp. And you know what? Achan, his family, everything he had, the Babylonian garment and the shekels of silver, everything was destroyed. You know why? Because sin will destroy the camp of Israel. We don't have to think 
We don't have to pretend. Judgment day is coming. One day the ark door is going to be going closed. And we don't want to wait till then to begin to believe the truths of God's word. Because you know what? We will then believe. Just like they did when the ark's door was going closed, they had full belief that what Noah said was true. But you know what? They weren't in the ship that we sang about earlier. They weren't inside to see and be under protection. But there they were crying out that now we know, Noah, you were right. And you know what? We don't want to wait for that day to know that these truths are correct. We don't want to wait till that day to know that sin will destroy Israel. Israel will not be, and they will not be able to overcome the enemy by having sin hiding inside the camp. And then we might take the picture and say, well, yeah, but that was just, that was just Achan and his family. That didn't mean like all of Israel is going to be corrupted. But you know what the picture wants to tell us? You know what the illustration wants to tell your heart and mind today? Is that when that was in the camp, and when Joshua seen that, that because they lost the battle, and God revealed to Joshua that there was sin in the camp, the reason it was revealed to him is because if it was going to be compromised with, all of Israel would be contaminated with that sin. And, they, you, and God wanted to show them that you don't win victory over the enemy by taking sin in the camp and upholding it and compromising with it. See, God had made the statement, don't take anything. God had told them through Joshua, don't take anything, and they took it. And because of the disobedience, then they, God wanted to show them that when sin is in the camp and sin is hiding in the earth, it doesn't have to be hiding in many. But if we are going to compromise with it, then the entire camp will be destroyed. We find in our day, in the realms of Christianity, that the enemy has been able to come and blind our mind. He has been able to come there and take our eyes and close them. Each, many times, individual journeys, he, that's his biggest trick today for every one of our hearts. But you know what the serious matter is? Is that one day we're going to die from this life, or one day this world's going to end. We don't want to wait until then. And then say, oh, I see, now I see it was true what was being cried out. Now I see that I was just upholding something wrong. But you know what? We need to ask the Father in heaven. That, dear Father, grant grace while I'm journeying here. That I don't live and play church. Grant grace, O oh Father, that I don't play to be a child of God. Grant me grace, dear Father, that I could be brought to a place that I could see the truths of your word and the seriousness of your word that I would not begin to believe falsehood. Because you know what God's word tells us that then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. And it says, do not err, my beloved brethren. You know what? I hope you would tell me that whenever you see me on the face of this earth, as long as I'm alive, and I hope I could tell you that, that dearly beloved brethren, sisters, children, don't err. Do not err in thinking that sin does not matter. You know, when we start to think that why would it be that our hearts would start to grow cold? Why would it be that our hearts would start to lean and begin to stretch and that we would begin to think that 
It's okay if we take the ways of this world on. It doesn't really matter because God don't care. You know, I hear the statement oftentimes and have, we've heard it for tens of years. God doesn't care what's on the outside. He cares what's on the inside. Then when we go to the Bible and see what God's Son, Jesus, said, you know what he said? What's on the outside is what's on the inside. In other words, out of the abundance of the heart, he said, the mouth speaks. You cannot pretend and have something on the inside and it doesn't show itself on the outside. If you're a child of God and God has granted you grace to be a child of God, there is going to be fruits because you know why? God in heaven creates the fruit. You don't. But and it's going to be evident that you're a child of God and there'll be fruits on the outside. And you know what? If you're not a child of God and there's things on the inside, whatever is there, it's going to be on the outside. And God cares. So you know what? The statement is false because you can't say either way. You can't say you have something on the inside that's not on the out or you have something on the out that's not on the in. It's all together. It can't be different. You know how that goes is that, in other words, Jesus says that a tree is known by its fruit. Apple trees do not bear forth fruit, uh, bear forth pears. And uh, like the Bible tells us that, that a, a good tree brings forth good fruit and a bad tree brings forth bad fruit. And we ask the Father in heaven that, Oh, Father, grant me grace that I don't err. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something, dear listener, this morning. There's a preservation that God in heaven has had for your heart and mind. And he has until the day we die. And it tells us in this way that when the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, that that grace of God that brings salvation that has appeared unto your heart and mine, these perfect and great, great gifts that God's Word tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and cometh from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning, these precious and good gifts and every perfect gift comes from above. And if your heart wants to know protection, and your heart wants to know this morning that how could we decipher then? How do we know that we are children of God? How do we know that we are going to journey and, and not be deceived and deceive ourselves and that we would not err like it says here, do not err, beloved brethren. How can we know? And where has it been? And God's Word tells us when it begins to tell us about a perfect gift and a good gift that God gives, and all good gifts that God gives. It tells us that there's a grace, and by His grace, He brings salvation unto your heart and mind. And it tells us that that grace will teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and that we would live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Could you imagine how good of a Father that we have in heaven? You know, when we read in God's Word, and Adam and Eve fell into that sin, we find that God went to them and began to talk to them. We have a God in heaven that when He watches us and sees that we begin to, and we have erred, God is that kind of a God that He comes over there by His grace, and He begins to call us. And He says that, Adam, where are you? And he, His heart longs that He would have a union. God doesn't rejoice that man runs in sin, God doesn't tell us this morning that, well, that's the way it is. If you're impenitent, you're going to the fire and, 
And if you're not, well, then you're a Christian and, you know, like it's as though God just looks at it lightly. God in heaven loves us so much that we could never begin to comprehend or speak of it. Because when man sins, God goes there and he begins to talk and begins to awaken. God has never awakened man just by some kind of a jar or, or some kind of a startling, but his word does the awakening. And in the beginning and the first parents that fell, whereby you and I are partakers of the eternal death, the word of God came to them and awakened them. They said, when we heard your voice in the garden in the cool of the day, that's what they told them, we seen that we were naked. They begin to try to cover themselves. That's why I said the enemy doesn't care if he gets us off in the world or if he gets us to cover ourselves with some kind of aprons or fig leaves. The devil doesn't care what he, can, what he does as long as we're not God's children. You know what God did? He, did a, he came there and offered a sacrifice for Adam and Eve. The innocent Lamb of God, the grace of God that brings salvation. He pointed their heart to the Lamb of God that this is the Lamb that is going to come and going to be innocent. And He's going to suffer for your sins so that you could be a child of God. His blood is going to be shed. What do you think, dear listener, when He went to the children of Israel in Egypt? He told them that go and take the sacrifice and the blood and sprinkle it on the doorpost. The angel of death seen it and flew over. And when he went to Noah and cried, and, and when that ark began to lift, do you realize, dear listener, that God wants you to know that in Christ and in his word, the word that would drown and perish people, would perish in it to others, it was one that they were victorious in, and it lifted them high above the mountains. And they were hiding in, the, in that ark that was Christ Jesus, and there was a safe place there. And for your heart and mine this morning, I want to tell you something. As we're journeying, our hope and our foundation and our salvation is there in the blood of Christ. And the devil will come and say, has God said? But you know what? When Jesus suffered, and when he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, that, Father, if thou be willing, lift this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as my will, but thine be done. And when he went on to Golgotha's hill and cried to the Father to forgive me and you because we didn't know what we were doing, you know what God did? He forgave us. He forgave our sins because the blood of Jesus flowed down his body. And that body was yours and mine that was full of sin and corruption and, and the entire weight of our sin and that death that came on us in that original sin was there upon the Son of God and he made himself to be sin unto us who knew no sin. So that you and I could be made righteousness of God in him that our sins and iniquities could be forgiven us. And the Father in heaven looks at you and says that you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus laid his head on his shoulder on Golgotha's hill. The first time in 33 years he found a place of rest. He looked for pity and he looked for somebody that would help but none of us would help him. But you know what I'm going to tell you that there is a protection against the wiles of the devil. The Bible tells us this way, that when we are brought to the knowledge and the statue and the liberty in Christ, we are not going to be like children, tossed about by every wind of doctrine and slate of men. You know why? Because the Son of God has journeyed and battled those winds, and he has battled sin, death, hell, and the devil, so that you and I could be victorious in him. We'll never be victorious in ourselves. We'll never be victorious in our own choosing 
or be victorious in something that we have come across or whatever. Our victory is there with that one who is the victor. God's word tells us that he who sanctifies and they who are sanctified are now made one. That Christ Jesus has been made unto you. Did you hear? It says he has been made unto you. You didn't accept him or make him, but the, son, but the Father in heaven has allowed his Son to come down and has been made unto you for wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Is there any more? Could you imagine he has been made unto you for everything? You look in your own heart and you say, well, I don't know if I have the knowledge. Christ had the wisdom that satisfied Father in heaven that would justify you. He has been made unto you for wisdom and he has been made unto you a righteous robe. And he has been made unto you for, righteous, for sanctification. That you could be holy in the sight of God and he has been made unto you for your redeemer. He has bought you back. You were sold out by the devil but God, Jesus came and bought you back. Paid the price that satisfied the Father in heaven and he has bought you back so God in heaven looks at you today and says that you are my child. Through the blood and sweat and toil like it has been cried out in this Christianity that through that blood, sweat and toil you have been made my child. That's why God's word tells us here this way that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom no varial mist or shadow of turning and then it says, by his own will begot he us unto, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of a first fruit of his creature. And that's what we're talking about, dear listener. That through that suffering and sweat of the Son of God, you have been brought by God's own will, and you have been begotten. You have been brought unto birth unto him. Could you imagine? You have been begotten, you have been brought, and partaker of a new birth in Christ Jesus. By the will of the Father, you have been begotten by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of a first fruit of his creature. And that's what God in heaven desires and wants. You know what? God's word tells us to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we could be called the sons of God. And it goes on to tell us in that place that therefore the world knoweth us not because it did not know him. And I would want to tell you and encourage your heart, dear listener this morning, that you would behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You know, one time the children of Israel were journeying along. And God's word tells us that way that they became, they became weary on the way. And it said they became weary because of the way. And then, in their weariness, they began to say this way that we don't have any bread to eat, we don't have any water to drink, and this manna that's coming down from heaven is loathsome. And when you read that in the Finnish Bible, it says that it's food that is not good. Could you imagine? We don't have any bread, we don't have any water, and this manna... listener that we would begin to say oh there's nothing there there's nothing said I wonder if we would cry to the Father in heaven and, and begin to say like they did in that way and God's word tells us that by them doing that they cried against God and they cried against Moses and when God seen that his heart was not pleased so he sent fiery serpents because you know why 
Jesus followed them. He was the rock. And God's word says they were able to drink from the water, Christ Jesus, from the rock that followed them. God gave them manna from heaven every day. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to do anything for it. David says it was angels' food that came from heaven every day. And they never lacked and they never had over, but they had angels' food every day. And there they begin to murmur and God sent serpents that they would, in their own, if they were bit by that serpent, they'd die immediately. Then the children of Israel began to cry to Moses and said that, well, would you pray to God and tell him? We've sinned, we've done wrong. Would you ask God to take this plague from us that we wouldn't have to be dying being by bitten by the serpent? And God heard the cry. Because you know our God is that kind of a God that he doesn't desire in the death of a sinner. He heard the cry. And he told Moses, he said, make a brazen serpent and hang it upon a high pole said, everybody in Israel, everybody that's journeying there, all the hundreds of thousands that are journeying, that whoever has been bit by the serpent, that they could gaze up and look at that brazen one on a pole, and, and if they look, they will be healed. They won't die the death. Our God is so good of a God in heaven, we could never begin to, like we said already, there's no way that we could portray what kind of a God he is. What kind of a heart did he have? They murmured when he gave them food from heaven and murmured against having no water. But now his heart turns and he tells them, just look and behold the brazen serpent and, and you'll live. You won't have to die. And they looked and they didn't have to die. You know what? I want to encourage your heart this morning. If it gets weary, if it gets tired, and your heart begins to murmur, oh, there's no bread here, there's nothing here, I want something new. I want to tell you what something. If your heart starts to go in those kind of places, ask the Father in heaven that revealed to me what that brazen serpent meant so I don't have to die. And you know what it was? God's word tells us in the New Testament that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look and behold, dear listener, the, the brazen serpent upon the pole on Calvary's hill. I'll tell you what will happen in that place there. Their sin will be revealed what sin is and what it caused the Son of God. There upon Calvary's hill, your eternal robe of righteousness is going to cover you. There upon the hill of Calvary, there the grace of God is going to give you salvation. And there the word of truth will be got you unto a being a child of God and as a first fruit as a child that is going to be born again, as God's Word tells us here, by God's perfect will. It's God's desire to give you birth, and it's by His Word that He will give you birth. There you will receive new birth. And you know what? When you start getting discouraged and you start saying that there's nothing anymore, we're living in too dark of a time, I'll tell you, dear listener, the light will begin to shine. Because you know why God's Word tells us that God then, at that place, He commands the light to shine out of darkness into your heart, to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory that he has in his own heart in the face of Jesus, so that you would know that the excellency of the power is of God and not of you. That's what, God ha that's what happens when you begin to behold. And that's why God tells you that you will not die, but you will live. Isn't it encouraging for your heart and mind to know that we don't have to die, but we could live? We don't have to be unbelievers. We don't have to run after the course of this world. 
But it's like Dota in his last sermon here in this pulpit cried out before he went to Finland and now he's gone. He cried out that as God's children that we have that liberty to keep God's commandments and we don't have to walk in sin. We have the liberty in Christ Jesus to see that all our sin and iniquity has been covered by the perfect and eternal blood of the Lamb of God. This morning, I would like to encourage every one of our hearts that become weary, because you know what? That's what we get in our flesh and our nature is that way. We will get weary, we'll get tired. We'll look at our sin. The enemy of the soul will come over there and tell you that like we already said, that the that tempting, you are living in sin. But behold, dear listener, the Lamb of God that has taken away the sins of the world. And go and see what it cost the Son of God that He could redeem you and make you as God's first fruit that God could look at you and begin to be satisfied even as Jesus told that woman at the well of Samaria when His disciples came back from the city and they offered Him and told Him that we have food that we, we were able to receive there in the city. We brought food for you. And Jesus, because He was dealing with this sinful Samaritan woman, and his heart was beginning to rejoice because, her, because a little bit in her heart there was a fire to see that the water that he was giving her began to satisfy her and she began to know that her sins could be forgiven and as bad as she was that her sins could be forgiven. Jesus told the disciples, I have meat and I have food that you don't know of. That, dear listener, is the food that Jesus' heart and God's heart is satisfied with. When the sinner heart and the sinner a sinful soul could begin to rejoice with the fire that God begins to enkindle, that your sins are forgiven you. The Son of God has covered you. He is the foundation. He is our everything. And you know what? I remember one time, many years ago, when I was working in my bakery there in Michigan, and my heart was in that kind of a place, that it was just distressed, and it was just couldn't believe. You know how that goes. And there... I cried to the Father that, Oh, dear Father, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And that went on for a long time. And then one day, I was out there rolling dough, right in the middle of the workday. Could you imagine? Then God came and visited me. And you know what he told me? He said that, My son has become the once and for all sacrifice for you. And the reason he is your once and for all sacrifice, because you need the blood of the Lamb all day long to cover you. And no matter how you feel, and no matter how sinful your corruption might feel, my son's blood is flowing over your sins all day long, so I can't even see him. My heart began to rejoice to know that we have a once and for all sacrifice that covers our sin all day long. Oh, it's like was said this morning and encouraged the young in all of our hearts that when we have sin on our conscience, and we need to go and ask forgiveness for them. We need to go put those matters away when they come on the conscience. God has ordained that gift from heaven. But when we talk about an eternal forgiveness, and a forgiveness that God in heaven looks at us and does not hold us accountable for those corruption and those sins that are done, like we said, in ignorance. And when our Father in heaven wants to cover us with an eternal forgiveness, He can't cover us because we have done but he covers us because his son has done. And God looks at his son's wounds today and he sees you grafted there. And you know what he does? He receives your 10,000 talents sin that forgiven you. What a great joy and what a great blessing that we could say with Paul that, O oh, Father in heaven, I can't rejoice in anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I am determined not to know anything else among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know what? I know one thing, dear listener. I know how often it is, more often than not, that while our hearts, we draw away. We draw away from that eternal redemption that was paid for us that he, when he paid our sin debt. But I would ask you, dear listener, to cry to the Father. Oh, Father, give me that determination that I would know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Many times we get, in, we get all involved with, with church matters. We get involved with, with our children and we get involved with natural things or they might be whatever they might be. And our heart starts to grow cold. You know what? Turn your heart to Calvary where the eternal tabernacle that God's word tells us has been erected and not made with hands, but is eternal in the heavens. God's word tells us that in this tabernacle we do groan earnestly. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be clothed upon and that mortality would be swallowed up of life. Because he who has wrought for the selfsame thing is God and has given unto us the earnestness of the Spirit. Behold, dear listener, the tabernacle that has been erected, which is an invisible tabernacle that has been erected, not with man's hands, but rather with the bloody hands of the Son of God who has died on Golgotha's hill. There the eternal tabernacle has been erected for your heart and mine. There you and I can find peace and liberty. And there, dear listener, that grace of God, that God in heaven sends to your heart that brings that salvation in Christ. He is going to guide us. He's going to be the Jesus that pilots the ship. Because you know why? We're in the ark. And God is the head and God is the pilot of the ark. We are in that ship of faith that has been victorious over sin, death, hell, and the devil. And that's why the devil tells you. That's why the God's word tells us, rather, that above all the armor that God gives you and I for protection, that above all, it says, take unto you the shield of faith, wherein you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Because you know why? The devil shot every dart he could at Jesus, but that faith overcame. We can be covered and there we could be protected by that shield of faith that when the enemy shoots, oh, it might feel like sometime he, that he penetrates us, but you know what? The shield of faith quenches that. Because you know why? Jesus said on Golgotha's hill, it's finished and it's fulfilled. And you know what? It was. Oh, dear Father in heaven, grant us grace that we could be gra grafted into your son. And there we could be made your children and become your first fruit. So that when you look at us from heaven, you say that you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his confidence upon us and give us peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. There will be a gathering at the Harborside Nursing Home this afternoon at 3 o'clock, and there will be service here then at 7 o'clock this evening. Next Thursday evening there will be a service here at 7.30. Next Sunday morning the communion service will begin at 10.30, and there will be a service then again at 7 o'clock in the evening. During the singing of song number 572, there will be a free will offering taken for the benefit of the church. Thank mm -hmm. you.